Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Laymiller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. As a sex educator, one of the most common questions I get from parents is when and how to talk to their kids about sex. Over the years, I've received countless emails on this subject. I've also even had some parents ask me to have the talk with their kids because they just don't know how to start or aren't comfortable with it. And that's a little awkward, I'll just say. (laughs) But anyway, when should you get started with this? And what do you need to know in order to successfully navigate this situation? That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to explore tips on how to normalize conversations about sex, sexuality, and relationships with your kids, and give them the resources and skills they need to make healthy decisions and have a happy and fulfilling intimate life. I am joined by Dr. Lene St. John, also known as the Mama Sutra. She is a board-certified sexologist, certified sex coach, and former professor of human sexuality. Lene is also the author of Read Me, a parental primer for The Talk. She has firsthand knowledge about how to navigate issues of sexuality as a parent, and she uses that experience to help her clients. This is going to be an amazing conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. This episode is all about how to talk to your kids about sex, but many of us aren't comfortable talking about sex in general, including with our own partners. That's why it's really important to learn how to build up your sexual communication skills and expand your sexual knowledge base. Not only will this make it easier to give the talk, but it will improve your intimate life too. That's why I recommend checking out Peducated, a revolutionary form of online sex education. They have an extensive library of courses you can take in the comfort of your own home, designed to give you the sex ed you never got before so that you can communicate more effectively, develop deeper connections, and experience more pleasure. Try all of their courses today for free and get 40% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Miller, as the coupon code. Check the show notes for the link or visit beducated.com and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. Get fit and stay firm with FirmTech. Their performance ring is designed to boost your sexual stamina and give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also enhancing pleasure for both the wearer and their partner. Their tech ring has the added benefit of tracking your erectile health when synced with FirmTech's free mobile app which monitors changes in erection duration, hardness, and more. Take control of your sexual health while increasing sexual performance and satisfaction at the same time. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. Hi, Lene, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hello there. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. So I'd like to begin our conversation by asking you to tell us a little bit about your own personal journey when it came to talking to your kids about sex and how that shaped your professional journey. So in your book, Read Me, you tell a story at the beginning about your seven-year-old daughter discovering your vibrator, a situation (laughs) that for many parents might sound like their worst nightmare. And you said that this moment is what kicked off your writing career about sex. So can you tell us a little bit about how you navigated that situation and why it prompted you to become a sex educator for other parents? 
<laughs> yeah, you're right that it it could be like that uh, the scariest moment or the most awkward moment with <laughs> with your kids. My daughter, I could hear her coming down the hallway, and I still had a bullet vibrator on the bathroom counter, you know, cleaning off your toys after use. And I heard her coming down the hall, and so I you know, quickly like put it in the drawer, close the drawer, and of course that's the drawer she opened when she came into the room, opens the drawer and she looks at it. It looked like a little lipstick. It was like bright red. And, and, uh, she's like, mom, what's this? I was like, it's nothing. Put it away. And I'm brushing my teeth. Of course she persists. She's like, no, what is it? It's <laughs> like <sighs> taking a deep breath. Cause I'm thinking, okay, this is a you know, teachable moment, teachable moment. I said, it's a vibrator and she's playing with it, fiddling with it. She's like, what's it do? it's for your private parts. And by now she's got it like on her face and it's on and it's like like vibrating across her forehead, down her nose. And she said, it tickles. I said, imagine what it feels like on your private parts. And she turned it off, put it in the drawer, closed the drawer and just kind of skipped out of the bathroom. (laughs) It was one of those moments where I was like, what just happened there? <laughs> yeah, it, it is what started the writing career. I was already going back to school to study sex, but hadn't yet really figured out a niche, right? And having two kids that were small at that at that time, I was like, I could really start to see how having these conversations openly and honestly, I mean, bless my mom's heart, she did not have these conversations <laughs> with me. And knowing how awkward, but easy. That one was like, I just knew. And I'd been talking to them about body parts, you know, the proper names for the body parts, all those years, it was just sort of a natural, you know, segue into doing more of those conversations. And we've had lots and lots of conversations over the years. I've taken my daughter with me when I, you know, I went to the doctor to have blood work done and I asked them to also do an STI test. And so we had a conversation about that. And the phlebotomist, while they're taking my blood, they're looking at me kind of side eye, like, you talk to your kids about this? And she even said it, like, you talk to your kids about this? And I was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a part of, you know, sexual health is health. And this is something that's also important. I expect that she's going to have to do this at some point. So why not just normalize it as part of something that we do to manage our sexual health? So yeah, I could ramble on. (laughs) There's hundreds of stories, probably thousands of stories I have about all these different conversations I've had with my kids. (laughs) Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that story. And I I think it's a good example of how when something like that happens, you have the choice, the decision to say, do I want to provide an honest answer, use this as a teachable moment, or do I just want to lie about it in order to make the situation go away? And I think it's easy to fall into that habit of just lying every time anything sex related comes up and then sex becomes this big mystery to your kids and then that can also affect how they see you they might not see you as a trustworthy or credible source because you've lied to them about everything right so i think your story is just a good example of yes it's an uncomfortable, awkward situation for any parent, (laughs) but you can use that as just a natural chance to try and teach them a thing or two. Yeah. Yeah. And I started to notice too, that if you can't talk to your partner about sex, 
it's probably going to be really hard as well to talk to your kids about sex, if not impossible, right? And so it is okay to admit when your kids are young, it's a great practice to just use the proper terms, even though they might be awkward for you, you just to use them when they're really little, like even as young as when you're changing diapers to name the parts they might not even understand. But for you, it's muscle memory. You're saying the words, using the words in the proper context, such that it gets less awkward, maybe slightly more comfortable, (laughs) but just practicing it that way so that it's easier later. Yeah. And it is all about, you know, kind of the baby steps, right? Now, we know that most people don't get the sex ed that they really need or deserve. And we've talked about that extensively on this show before, including the many negative outcomes of poor sex ed. And the problem is that a lot of parents are expecting or hoping for someone else to do the work for them. You know, maybe it's the other parent or the school or perhaps a church leader, or in some cases, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I have had other parents who have approached me saying, can you (laughs) talk to my kids about sex? And it's like, you know, why do you want a stranger to do this? Like, you should really feel comfortable talking to your kids about sex, and you should be that trusted source of information for them. So it's important for parents to find a way to kind of move past the awkwardness, get the conversation started. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, we're talking about baby steps here, but for parents who are dreading having the talk, thinking that it's going to be this super embarrassing, awkward thing, how do you set your mind at ease at least a little bit, so that you can open the door to these conversations? The biggest hurdle is that being uncomfortable part, right? It is okay to be uncomfortable talking about sex. It's just for a lot of us, our parents didn't have those conversations. So we don't even know where to begin when it comes to tackling the topic. One of the things I used in the book that I wrote is I came up with the idea of the five building blocks to a healthy sexuality. And none of them overtly have anything to do with intercourse, right? Like that's what most people are thinking of when they're thinking of of sex. But when you think about these five points or the five topics and the five building blocks and start to sort of like orient yourself to those building blocks, it makes it easier to have the conversations. So The five building blocks are communication, consent, respect, pleasure, and fantasy. The first three are super easy for parents. (laughs) We get that, well, you know, communication's important. You know, for years now, people are talking about consent and getting a better understanding that that's permission kind of a thing. Um, Respect, respect for self, respect for your own body, et cetera, et cetera. Respect for others, obviously. Pleasure and fantasy are more difficult for parents at the beginning, but once they realize kind of what I talk about in the book, it's not as scary. We're not just talking about sexual pleasure. Pleasure is a lot of things. Pleasure is self-care. Pleasure is a hug when you need it, right? Like a hug can be soothing. It can evoke tears in some cases, right? And so pleasure is a vastly important piece of the pie here. And pleasure as it relates to sex is also really important to know. It's important to express that to your kids that, you know, what's happening should feel good and probably will feel good. (laughs) So then the fantasy piece, there's a lot of messages and 
People struggle with it because they're thinking sexual fantasy, but sometimes it's, it's even as simple as like kids will play when they're young. They role play. They have fun doing these things. And one thing that is a hang up for a lot of adults is they sort of lose that playfulness and adult sex is play for adults. <laughs> it's, so it's, you know, knowing how important fantasy is to kids, it is equally important to understand that once you become, you know, a happy, healthy adult, fantasy is also equally important there. Yeah. And I really like this framework and I'd like to talk about each of these aspects in a little bit more detail, just so people have some sense of kind of how they can incorporate that into their own interactions with their kids. So if we start first with that issue of communication, you know, being able to express your feelings and emotions, to communicate your wants, your needs, your desires, but also to listen to other people, you know, because communication isn't just about you expressing yourself. It's also about being able to understand the way that other people are expressing themselves and internalizing that. And good communication is so important for good sex, but it's also important just for navigating everyday life. And, you know, I think a lot of the advice that you give in the book is about building up general skills that, yes, will have benefits in the bedroom eventually for your kids, but they extend so far beyond that. So when we talk about healthy communication, how can you as a parent model healthy communication for your kids? Yeah. I mean, we generally are not taught relational skills. <laughs> and so sometimes as adults, we have to do our own work on our own relationships and communication is a really big part of this. Um, how we model it to our kids is being able to, you know, if we have an argument with a partner, for example, and our kids hear it, I know there's a whole segment who believe that you shouldn't argue in front of your kids. It's bad to argue in front of your kids. I don't agree with that because it's not the complete picture. And if we do argue in front of our kids, it gives them a chance to see when things get resolved, how they get resolved. If they don't see the argument or don't hear the resolution, being able to circle back and say, you may have heard us having this conversation. We were arguing about this. This is how we resolved it. So they get an understanding of like, it's okay to have differing opinions about something, but it's also important for them to see it modeled that you can have a conversation, you can have a discussion, you can have an argument and come to a resolution without it being, you never talk to the person ever again, <laughs> right? Like, I don't really talk about this in the book, but you see it even in our culture nowadays where people won't engage with each other. And to some extent that comes from not being able to learn how to have these difficult conversations with each other. And we just kind of get really polarized where there probably is some common ground that we could reach, but we're, we get stuck and we don't know how to cross that bridge. So being able to circle back is really important. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting and important perspective, right? Because there are a lot of people, as you say, who think you shouldn't fight in front of your kids. And that is a chance to learn something about how communication happens because conflict is a natural part of 
relationships. And what we see in the research is that couples who never fight actually are much more likely to break up because those problems never end up getting resolved. So conflict is part of the process of working on improving, maintaining relationships. And, you know, it's an important skill to build. Now, it's interesting when I think about people talking about their parents' interactions, you know, I do know some people who are like, my parents never fought. And some people are like, my parents fought all the time. And, you know, there can be an unhealthy dynamic when there's always conflict. And especially when there's conflict that keeps coming up that never gets resolved, like that's another thing entirely. But, you know, not being afraid to have some of those conflicts emerge, but using that again as an opportunity to teach your kids how do you manage and deal with these differing opinions and views can be a very healthy thing. It's remarkable how much we think that relationships are, you know, have a happy ending or that it's happily ever after, but we're going to be disappointing to our partners <laughs> and our partners are going to disappoint us. It's a natural thing, but figuring out how to repair. Essentially, that's what I was getting at is that this is about repair. You know, the circling back is like, how did we resolve this? And, you know, this also has me thinking about how when parents try to hide all of their conflict from kids and then the kids are grown up, but then the parents separate or divorce. And it finally comes out that there was this long history of turmoil in the relationship that they hid from the kids. That can be a real shock to the system. And sometimes it causes people to lose faith in their parents and to question, you know, everything about their childhood, right? And so again, it goes back to that importance of having openness, honesty, authentic communication with your kids. So we talked a bit about, you know, communication. Let's talk about consent. So the ability to identify and exercise your boundaries and respect other people's boundaries is super important. But we do this terrible job of teaching people about consent in schools. So what are some things you can do as a parent to model and teach basic consent principles? Yeah, I mean, the big one is coming up with this holiday season. Hugs. (laughs) This is... The idea that your child has to hug and kiss relatives during the holiday season is one that I, it's a hill that I'll die on (laughs) because I believe that allowing your child to not have to hug, to not have to kiss a relative that they, or anyone that they don't want to is and should be perfectly acceptable when kids are young, when we're all young, we're learning how to understand what we feel in our bodies. And if something doesn't feel safe, we should be able to like have a little distance there. We should be able to not want to hug or kiss someone. I did a TV segment on KTLA and right after I got off the air and was able to turn my phone back on, I had an email from a man I was talking about this same topic on the show. I had an email from a man who shared with me that his parents used to make him do things that were so out of his comfort zone. One example he gave was needing to kiss a relative in a coffin. I just, and he, he said he was crying when he heard me talking about making sure that kids have the autonomy to be able to say no when they don't want to do something like it, but it really affected him and getting that email. It was just, my heart just felt so sad for a young person being told that this was something that they needed to do. 
no, <laughs> please don't make your kids do anything that they don't want to do and be supportive when they don't want to. If another relative tries to say something, I mean, this was actually a, a situation with my own family. When my sister brought her niece that I hadn't seen in a while, I crouched down and I was like, oh, come give me a hug, you know? And she held onto my sister's leg and I was like, okay, when you're ready, I'm here and I'll give you as many hugs and kisses as you want. And she, you know, stayed by my sister and my mom said, oh, just grab her and give her a hug. I was like, no, she's telling me something very clearly. She might not know who I am. She might not recognize me. It's been a little while, but that's totally fine. She can come to me when she's ready. Of course, within five minutes, she was sitting on my lap and engaging with me like a you know, normal little kid would be. <laughs> it's not important to just scoop them up. Just let them tell you when they're ready. They're not going to go to college doing that. But I think what you're saying is that every interaction is a potential opportunity to kind of model healthy behavior around consent and around boundaries. And so that I think is a very helpful way of reframing this for a lot of parents that, you know, this isn't just about talking to your kids about the mechanics of sexual intercourse and reproduction and all that stuff. It's so much broader than that. And it's building these basic life skills and communication and consent and respect for boundaries and how to respect yourself. You know, all of these things are super important. And, you know, speaking of respect, you know, that's the next part of the model is, you know, having this healthy respect for yourself and others. And a big part of that is having healthy body image. But a lot of parents unintentionally cultivate unhealthy body image or body shame in their kids. So can you give us an, an example of, you know, something parents can do to help their kids have healthier relationships with their own bodies? Not everyone has access to a place like we have in San Francisco, which is um, Kabuki Springs and Spa. And I took my kids there when they were really little and it's a clothing optional spa. You know, me taking my two young daughters, they got a chance to see, you know, I think they were both 10 and 12 at the time. They got a chance to see real people, real bodies, not Photoshopped. I mean, granted, we'd been doing this kind of stuff around the house. And so, yeah, I guess that's the, if you don't have someplace like Kabuki Springs, you can do that at home. And I know lots of adults have anxiety about their own bodies. It comes from how we were raised. And kids, when they're really little, don't have that same anxiety. I mean, any parent who's got a toddler and they're running around naked understands that. And it's when they start to approach puberty that they'll naturally start to cover themselves up, right? The little kids will naturally start to feel a little more bashful. But when they're young, you can take that opportunity to help them appreciate their bodies while they're little, while they're, you know, just before they're starting to develop so that when they start developing, they'll have an appreciation, that appreciation that they, that people like me growing up didn't have. And one of the examples I used, it's actually an exercise that when I went to school to study human sexuality, the mirror exercise, you're probably familiar with the mirror. Have mm -hmm. you, have you mentioned this one on the, on the show? Yep. Yeah. Um, being able to stand in front of a mirror and appreciate your body is a revolutionary experience. And giving that experience to a young kid to say, 
you know, what are your three favorite parts of your body? When you look at your body, what are your, what are your three favorite parts? I did that with my youngest or with both of them. And my oldest, you know, she walked up to the mirror and she was like, I like my eyes, my lips, and my hair. And I was like, amazing. Those are wonderful things, right? Like, and she just knew those were her favorite things. My youngest, gosh, I can't even remember how old she was when this happened. She went up to the mirror, you know, a little cherub-like body, and she's sort of like posing. And she says, I like my breasts, my butt, and my private parts. (laughs) 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 I mean, kid of a sex educator, I guess. Yep. <laughs> or else, like most little kids, you know, they're going to pick the words that are going to shock their parents the most, right? And see what their parents react. It's always the little kid who's talking about, you know, genitals in the grocery store. And the parents are like, <laughs> they're doing it for the shock value, but also to see how other people react. And at the time, those were her favorite parts. So <laughs> it all tracked. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the things kids will say. (laughs) So next we have pleasure in this model. And pleasure is something that is rarely addressed in formal sex education, which is weird because pleasure is actually the primary reason why people have sex, right? However, research suggests that pleasure-based sex ed is actually more effective in a lot of ways. So when it comes to pleasure, you know, what are some of the things that should be addressed here? You know, I think this is also where a parent's ability or inability to talk to their kids shows up later in life for the kid. And being able to talk about pleasure, being able to talk about sex, whatever aspect of it you're talking about, makes it easier for them to be able to talk to a future partner. If we're not addressing pleasure as like, You know, when you get to that point of wanting to engage with a partner, it should feel good. I talk to many adult female presenting clients who tell me that they struggle with sex because it's never been about pleasure for them. It's been about doing something for someone else. And I do not want that experience for my kids. I want my kids to be able to experience pleasure. And If there's nothing else you take away from this conversation is probably one of the most important things. Think about, begin with the end in mind. I want my kids to be happy, healthy, sexual adults. And what does it take for that to happen? Having conversations that include sex, pleasure, consent, respect, all the five building blocks, right? And nobody Googles, how do you help your kids have a happy, healthy sexuality? You know, we don't even Google that for ourselves. It's really an important piece to consider. Yeah, I think you make a really important case for why pleasure should be addressed, right? Because why would you want your kids to be resigned to a life of feeling like sex is a duty and that there's nothing in it for them? Or what if sex is something that is painful for them and they think that that's just the way sex is supposed to be because they were never taught about pleasure? Again, it's really just thinking about what do you want the well-being of your kids to be in the future and what do you want their relationship with their own sexuality to be? And I think we want 
them to experience the pleasures that we've experienced. And so part of that comes along with talking about what pleasure is and and its important role in sexual activity. Now, as you mentioned, that part can be a little bit harder for parents to talk about. And the final piece of this model is fantasy, which (laughs) can be even harder as well, because fantasy often goes hand in hand with porn, because, you know, porn is a way that people sometimes go to vicariously live out their fantasies or engage with them in some way. So what are some of the things you think parents need to know when it comes to talking about some of this harder stuff like fantasy and porn? My oldest daughter, when she was 12, really kind of hit the nail on the head with this. She said, you can talk to me about the center of the earth. It doesn't mean I'm going to go there. (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay. So we can talk all day about all these different topics. We can talk about if we're being direct and honest and open, it doesn't mean you have to be showing them or anything like that. Just having these conversations, I mean, as much as you want to shield them from it, put all the blocks on the computers, they're gonna find out about it. And I would much rather have my kids get accurate information, healthy information. Having these conversations all these years with my kids and having a library of books, (laughs) not everybody has a library of books to go to, but at least being able to talk about these topics I haven't had the problem of my kids going to porn to find out about sex. That I consider a win. You know, the fact that they can, if they do have a question, they can come ask me, but it's also, it's okay for you not to know all the answers or to know what to say. I created a a PDF that's on my website and it's, I called it the Mad Lib Mea Culpa. It's a Mad Lib style script that you can like fill in the words that are applicable for you, but to sit down with your teen or tween or, you know, whatever age kid you're talking to, if you haven't yet had these conversations, this little script kind of helps you to have a mea culpa about, I, you know, I should have, I didn't, here's why, let's begin kind of a thing. And yeah, fantasy is is really tough for a lot of people. I struggled because I actually, I have aphantasia, so I don't have a mind's eye. So I don't fantasize like other people do, but I know that fantasy is a healthy part of adult sexuality. And it's important to talk about as well. It is. And I appreciate you bringing it up and making it part of your model because, you know, it is part of our sexuality and all too often it goes unaddressed. And that's a big part of why my career is about fantasies. It's about giving us the sex ed that we just never got on that subject at any point before. And I think there's kind of this idea out there that it goes back to what you were saying, that if you just tell kids about something, that it's going to make them go and do it. It's kind of like how there's also this incorrect logic that if you give kids the HPV vaccine, then they're going to go out and have a lot more risky sex or whatever. And it's just like, no, none of this is true. And in fact, if you look at the data and research, what you see is that giving people comprehensive sex ed actually reduces sexual risk-taking relative to not giving them any information or giving them incorrect information. So, you know, there's a lot of benefit and value of being honest and being comprehensive in talking about these different aspects of our sexuality, the danger comes from not having enough information. And that's where people turn to porn and some of these other sources that might not necessarily give accurate sex ed. 
One of the things I used to say when I taught human sexuality at the beginning of the semester, I would say, if you can't talk about sex, you shouldn't be having it. And well, I mean, it was a very opinionated statement, right? And not totally, <laughs> but I would say it. And at the end of one semester, I had a student come up to me, or actually we were having the conversation at the end, like, what'd you get out of the class? What'd you take away? You know, what, what'd you apply? That kind of thing. And she raised her hand and she said, you know, when you said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> I, that's no, that's that, no, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to me. And she said, but as the semester went on, I really started to, to realize that had I known what I learned in this class, I probably would have made different decisions than I did to this point. And I said it a little bit to kind of poke and get them thinking, but <laughs> it's one of the core questions that I have probably the most views on. It's an unpopular opinion, but if you think about it, if you can't talk about sex, you shouldn't be having it. Like, you know, one of the conversations I helped a client with was talking to her daughter about birth control. And this was a conversation that they had had before. So they had lots of conversations about sex. So as they were talking about whether to use hormonal birth control or another method, they got into it with like, well, how often, you know, the boyfriend was long distance. So they didn't see each other that often. The daughter wasn't really sure she wanted hormonal birth control. So it was like this really interesting and, and nuanced conversation about like, if you don't need the immediacy, right, of hormonal birth control, because you can be a little more timely, rational, thoughtful, <laughs> you can plan this kind of stuff, right? It doesn't have to be lusty, pushing each other through the door as your lips are attached and you're tearing off each other's clothes. That's shown up in client conversations as well as like having an expectation that sex is always supposed to be like that every single time. And it's not satisfying if it's not like that. <laughs> the things we see, the things we start to think of as like, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. I'm kind of commingling a couple things here, but like those two things just really popped into my head as oh, things that have come up recently that just underscore how important it is to have these conversations about sex, birth control, planning, and expectations, what things are supposed to be like. Yeah. And it all speaks to why it's so important to be able to talk about sex, not just with your kids, but with your partners. We need to normalize these conversations because it has so many implications in terms of protections for our health, in terms of the pleasures that we're going to receive. Everything all comes down to communication. 100%. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Lene. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your book? Yeah. So thank you for having me. First of all, you can go to my website, themamasutra.com. Uh, my book's available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. You can find it on my website and get it directly from me as well. You can find me on social media really anywhere at the Mama Sutra, T H E M A M A S U T R A. 
And the book is called Read Me, a parental primer for the talk. So thank you again for joining me and thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter, Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Thank you.